This is a conversation on improving science, DSI, from Vision Weekend in US 2021. It's a conversation with Alexei Gursi from New Science, Ivan Miyatsono from Protocol Labs, Will Zhang from Unitary Fund, Aaron King from Foresight Institute, Darren Zhu from Adams, myself and the entire Foresight community. We discuss scientific innovation and how it can give us many of the things that we care about today and what could happen if only we could improve the very process by which we achieve scientific innovation. How can decentralization or new DSI help? What crypto commerce tools from prediction markets, reputation mechanisms to DAO, NFTs, bounties and tech trees can we draw on to speed up the process of scientific discovery in beneficial ways? Join this behind the scenes jam at Foresight Vision Weekend, uh, our annual member gathering. There's also lots of slides available uh, on the YouTube version of this. Enjoy. Maybe we can do a speed round of these introductions. What is your approach for innovating in the way that we do scientific innovation? Uh, starting with Lawrence. Hi. Um, my name is Lawrence. I'm collaborating with Darren. We have an initiative called Adams Org. Um, our goal is to recognize and reward scientific research. So, you know, we believe that you right now you go and you give your taxes to a government and there's a one organization of people who decides um, what is hot and what is not. Similarly, on the publishing side, Elsevier will decide what is worth publishing and what is not worth publishing. So our our goal is to make that decision um, in the hands of many more people um, with significantly less overhead and significantly more in real time. Lovely. Great. Great. Will, what are you working on? Thank you for coming. Oh, good. So hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Will Zhang, uh, and I'm here on behalf of Unitary Fund. So we're a, a nonprofit that works in the quantum computing space. Um, you've probably heard about quantum computing, so there's a lot of applications of quantum technology and sensing, computing, networking. But it's also a new ecosystem and industry, which means we have a lot of public goods problems. There's things that even with the extra you know, billion dollars in VC funding that came in this year and lots of government funding that's happening, things like infrastructure, benchmarks, tooling, open source software, that's, it's still a hole. Um, so what we've been doing over the last couple of years are helping fill those gaps. We do it with a microgrant program. We've given about 50 grants in 20 countries over the last couple of years uh, and also have an in-house team that are building open source software. One of the reasons I'm really glad to be on this panel today is there's a lot of new tooling out around things like DAOs or other kinds of collaborative infrastructure that I think what we're doing in quantum would be a great place to apply it. Uh, and so I want to talk a little bit about, about that. And it's eight. Um, yeah, so uh, there's no natural mechanism of replacement of institutions of science in general of federal bureaucracies or nonprofits. And because of this... Uh, they just continue to stagnate once they were created and exist indefinitely. Uh, in that, like nonprofits live by their endowments and often like continue to do the exact opposite of whatever their founders intended, for example. And so the existing institutions of basic science really came to be this way after the Second World War, uh, in the US at least, were designed by Vannevar Bush in a large part. And we think that the majority of the smartest grad students these days, actually not even those who are interested in basic science, who do want to do basic science, are not looking to continue their career in academia. They want to drop out and do something else. And because academia is just very bad at properly empowering and enabling people. And so the goal of New Science, which is the nonprofit that I run, is to essentially, uh, since there is no natural mechanism of replacement of these institutions, is to essentially just start a new generation their 21st century institutions of basic science that will actually function well well for a while. And then in 50 years, they will also become the, the age and will become boring politically constrained in all sorts of ways. But then hopefully we'll be able to spur the, uh, this process of institutional renewal and in the meantime, enable some really good science and will contribute to science more broadly. And then in 50, yeah, in 50 years, some new uh, come along and will then create a new generation of institutions of science. Uh, and yeah, and the goal of new science is to essentially build uh, literal physical research institutes eventually that will do basic science that could empower scientists to do basic science better. Um, yeah, lovely. And we're for, yeah, so we're we just incorporated earlier this year, so we haven't actually done anything yet. We're going to be yeah. So but you but, have big waitlist complications, right? Uh, yeah, but and yeah, so we're going to be running programs for young scientists next summer, next summer, and then in the fall, a one-year program, and gradually scaling until 
we're able to build entire labs and entire research institutes outside of academia. Yeah, and these institutes will eventually constitute the new academia. Happy? Darren, uh, as Lawrence and Allison mentioned, we're collaborating uh, uh, on ideas for thinking about how we can reimagine and redesign a lot of the incentives that go into scientific research today uh, to better reward contributions that currently might not might be overlooked, whether that's sort of replication studies, uh, publishing in more real-time open uh, ways, and also thinking about uh, some of the sort of principal agent problems that we often find in science where uh, funding often goes to older, um, more conservative projects uh, with sort of more short-term uh, cited um, approaches. And can we actually fund a, a broader range sort of of high-risk, high-reward, high-impact uh, research? So just a little bit more, uh, I guess, information on the sort of things that we're thinking about and really excited about sort of the emergence of a lot of these crypto-economic primitives that allow us to do a lot of experimentation on the incentive and mechanism design space. What are these? Evan. Uh, Evan Miyazono. I'm representing Protocol Labs. We created IPFS, lib P2P, and Filecoin, in the, which are fairly well known in the Web3 space. And we raised enough funding that we are exploring more fundamental improvements that we can make to uh, research processes related to fields that we're interested in, like cryptography, distributed systems, and networking. Also things that are if you stretch adjacent to distributed and peer-to-peer data storage and sharing like brain-computer interfaces or VR, AR, metaverse. Um, and we've had a grant program for a while. We've distributed, uh, I think, tens of millions of Filecoin and uh, at least tens of millions of dollars. And when you, all you have is a grant program, it's very easy to see everything, every funding problem as something a grant can solve. And we are currently trying to change that for ourselves and build out things like a roadmap with milestones that looks very similar to the tech trees uh, effort here. And so it's interesting to compare notes and collaborate on tooling around that. We want to attach bounties to those with the idea being that if you want to do something, it, it may be a public good, it may have huge impact, but no revenue stream. You should have some capacity to de-risk or for like someone who cares about that to de-risk that effort for you so you can initial like quit your job, get started on doing these things and then have some understanding that if you achieve some milestones, you will get rewarded. And then if that re- if that milestone has more impact than was predictable, because there's definitely unknown unknowns about the future of impact, uh, we want to make sure that there are mechanisms to retroactively fund those things so that not just you. De- do people who have done great things in the past get rewarded, but there's an ongoing expectation and uh, expectation and incentive for people to do things that are highly impactful so that because they'll know that they can, when their time comes, um, have that impact and get that incentive. And so we're planning to deploy um, probably an additional few million, at least uh, maybe tens of millions over the course of the next year or two using some of these novel mechanisms to support the development and improvement of projects, research questions, and solutions related to distributed storage in Web3, and also some of these adjacent topics uh, to trial them, iterate on these mechanisms to try and make sure that we have things that work better than just grants alone, especially just government grants, which I think we're already possibly better than. (laughs) On the tech... If the tech that you saw has a very, very good yesterday, we actually have a database. So, do I do the full thing or just the overview? Like, um, whatever you want. Okay. So, um, a lot of people are not going to be able I was hoping to have a projector, but this is uh, an animation stint. Yep. This is the show and tell. Well, there's animations on this. There will be. Right <laughs> And then the whole facing this way, I'll film it. And then yeah. The people can want to share. If you there. I project toward the mic, too. I'll show you later. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, you've seen something that looks similar to this, which is the, like, the nodes that um, have been seen at the, the general conference. And um, what we're going to do... 
is we're going to build out a tech tree based upon those nodes. And then we're going to have several features for like filters for those, for the whole map that um, eventually. And what we're going to be able to do is say, oh, I want to see the level of investment. And it's going to color code everything and tint it from like green to dark green or something like that. And you can see which areas are being overfunded or underfunded. I wouldn't say overfunded, but funded greater than other areas. Um, you can like use like a personal filter for, uh, you know, a personnel filter. So you can see how many people are working on a particular piece. Uh, you can use a query tool eventually and be able to see the downstream effects of any particular technology. See if, if we, if we focus on this thing, what's it going to impact? What's the greater picture here? Um, and then I can show you, this is the current iteration that's actually hosted online right now. It's a prototype. And this is all, uh, you've seen the, the static tech tree, but this is actually dynamically rendered um, from a database, an SQL database. So it pulls the information from a, from a database and it, it just sort of throws it up uh, automatically. It, it draws all the arrows out um, and it's going to get a lot better than, than what it currently is. But uh, that allows us to make really rapid changes and iterate very quickly and make this a living document. So it's not just going to be one roadmap and then two years later, the whole thing's obsolete. We're going to keep updating it. We're going to have uh, entries for all the companies, all of the labs, all the advocacy groups for any particular node. They're going to be able to see the web of connections. They're going to be able to click on any particular node and zoom in and see a much more detailed view. How are people going about uh, trying to solve that particular thing? What are the parallel you know, uh, trains of thought, uh, what are the competing trains of thought? Um, and who's doing what, uh, if company a folds or collapses, what does that do to the technologies that they're involved in? Something like that. Um, so we're going to be capturing all that information and then we're going to be distributing it to everybody, um, in a very open access methodology. Um, and Allison's view is, sorry, did you want to talk about the, the crypto stuff or? Well, I mean, I would talk about the maximum price that we're creating for just creating tools like this. We're trying to build this out in the back end with like very low, like obviously very low skill. But ideally, we can actually crowd funders, we can actually crowd sources so that individual people can actually like, like on Wikipedia actually comment on the whole thing. That's why we're having the hackathon to build out a better tool for this. But in the meanwhile, we already have the technical groups in the different areas, like molecular machine, neurotechnology, right? Um, and so we're working on the individual uh, topic areas, so we can already build out the backbone through the seminars and then here. And this is more of a bottom-up process for trying to generate um, the content already as we build out. We have a comment. It'd be really great if you had some kind of project tokens give to the contributors yeah. if there's something comes out of that milestone, or people want some sort of ownership save light thing. Uh, there were security compliant project tokens. <laughs> I guess sounds like an idea to me. Yeah. So, yeah. So, um, yeah, that's about it. <laughs> oh, I, I just wondered, like, do we need to do this? Doesn't civilization already have the <laughs> So it is based on the, the, the mentality of the civilization game series tech tree. Um, basically just taking all the technologies associated with, with a domain of progress and figuring out how they relate to each other and what, where are we right now and where can we get in the future? This whole, this whole idea was built to just solve a very, answer a very simple question, which is what is going on in the field of longevity? Very difficult to answer. And then for new people coming in, it's like, how do I get involved? What should I be doing to have the greatest amount of impact? We can't tell people that right now. Nobody knows. But hopefully we get enough information that we can tell you all the bottlenecks. Here's all the, the best people doing all the, the right research in each particular area. And here's where you can do to make a, the greatest amount of difference. I should say, like, there's different people that want to think out of this. For example, like, uh, Trent Econangi, who we collaborated with on this, and from Ocean Protocol, he actually wants to fund an entire path through the space. So he wants to get from large devices fields and the tech fields for every different area that Pod that's working on. And then he wants to fund a path through it. But you want to do it the other way around because, like, this is the thing that I want to do. And this is the thing where I want to get biologists on. Here, I want this, those little journey projects funded. They can actually in this way. And then other people can, like, either add notes or 
pad notes or, or edit them. And so different people have different approaches for this thing. I yes. just need a better tool to do the entire thing. Yeah. The different colleagues so um so we have been running a micro program what i'm going to do now is actually ask a question in public that i've asked several of you in private or associate you know around so we have a micro program now but it's centralized so we have a non-profit um if we give out let's say 20 grants uh, a year and part of the reason it's a bogs of micro grant program is it's hard to do the tech tree for how to build like quantum open source software stack there's all these pieces that you can kind of guess at, but it's better to have the bottoms up. So if you have a micro program like that, and you don't want to give out 20 micro grants a year, you want to give out 200. And funding isn't the bottleneck. What logistically should you do to help the community take more governance ownership of that micro grant program and then scale up? Anyone in the room? There's a breakout. Here we have one. Yeah. Is there, is there any microphone or is there no, no, there's 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 of prediction market predictions, things that you could create a prediction market on the outcome of where satisfying the sub-goal gives you an outcome to the prediction market. And we actually talked with Gaia about this yesterday from a technist, and they're potentially interested in, for the, so the way that we build out the tech tree is like, uh, we build it out over different seminars throughout the next year, and every one of these seminars will have a very well-formulated question that those individual researchers that we walk through will have to um, answer uh, and make the prediction on in a time year and uh, in, in the timeline so that over time we can actually have more predictions added to the tree. So okay. it's definitely not a Okay, so then, so I was, and uh, if you take a look at what Robin Hansen's early writing was on prediction markets, to use a prediction market on a given hypothesis as a way to fund work on the hypothesis, that there's a way to crawl into to the market or a given hypothesis such that any resolution to the hypothesis uh, and reward those who helped uh, contribute towards resolving the hypothesis because essentially this is um, uh, insider trading and that's very positive because if it out have a lead on the answer of how the hypothesis resolved. And the people who disagree have a, incentive, a strong yeah. financial incentive to bury that knowledge and create disinformation like this. Yeah, I have huge concerns about this as a direction. The way to, to describe that is the people who disagree have a very strong incentive to voice their disagreement, to engage in criticism, and try to convince people of the contrary hypothesis, all of which is part of the scientific method. Which works I, great when everyone's a scientist and your population is 100% rational. Uh, I have to them. The vitality of criticism uh, uh, among people of, who use it in good faith order because of fear of those who are not using the criticism in good faith. I think that is a valid defense of that proposal. I would additionally say that like there, that might have a higher risk profile than other potential mechanisms. Things that come to mind as like the ways I would consider scaling would be uh, leveraging like latent trust networks, reputation networks, where you have like voters or you can delegate to members of the community, um, elect representatives. There are things like the S process from the Survival Flourishing Fund um, that does a great job where you have like funders who pick representatives who uh, elicit or you know, funders who pick representatives, representatives who allocate funding to donors. Each step of this process is done by mediated by an app that elicits the utility curve hmm. for funding for various projects. And then at the very end, through a series of discussions, you can elicit these curves and then compute on what maximize what distribution of the funds maximize utility across all the projects. And so you can have like a Group, a small group of people who have all of the context who can deliberate and reach consensus and you can have more confidence that they're rational actors. 
Um, you can make that as big as you want, but it's... If, if you're... The idea of shaping the process is one that weakens the process of open public criticism. Then I'm terrified this is going in the wrong direction. I think that we're going from a smaller There's, group that's distributing funding to a slightly larger group. And this, it's a progression to see how big you can make it before jumping to biggest group. This, yeah, this kind of two yeah, which is a good point. Like, this is two conversations. One is like, what is something given we do, which is now centralized? What's like a next step that would be better? But then there's there's also this a sort of an which we could talk about too. This asymmetry where it seems like I'm more worried about short sellers than who are acting in bad faith than people who are going along acting in bad faith when it comes to scientific development. If that makes sense, like, do you think there's not an asymmetry there? Like, it seems easier to obfuscate scientific progress so that you can short a prediction market than it does to actually okay. make progress. So, so maybe two points. No, separate. One is the one I sorted with, which is prediction markets specifically. And I think you're, I think the way you phrased it helps focus me on why I should be skeptical there, which is the short term versus long term and how that correlates with the short person to one and called short versus moving market and how it really the good and bad faith. So I think I think there's some real some real weak fear that needs to be explored. But the the thing that I was reacting to just now that I said terrifies me is independent of whether prediction markets are the mechanism or not. I think open science, in order to be successful and produce credible outcomes, has to amplify criticism. Mm-hmm. That the process of phobic criticism and, deb- and debate and and funding the outside the, uh, the 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 contrary view to make its case is essential for the health of science and essential for the for the process of open science if open science is going to produce credible results. One hundred percent. I think what is uh, yeah, Evans' point was that like the incentivization of good faith debate and debate and criticism does not necessarily imply complete openness, right? That there is a, a mechanism specifically to elicit truthful criticism. Yeah. That, I, but like open to presumably good faith actors. Yes. I've been more fundamental question about this. And early, it seems that this, it goes counter to my own experience in that uh, innovation rarely seems like uh, a democratically supported process. Um, Everything I've done that seemed like meaningful on an innovation front was largely disparaged and written off by, by the very people who should be voting to support. And, uh, and it wasn't until you know, sometime in the future where you'd cross an invisible line and people would say, oh, that was brilliant. Let's get behind that. And so uh, how did how did Karen Budden Bentley resolve this different thing? So same thing here. Yeah. <laughs> do it, do it. I, we, yeah. We're all going to have some of them. Yeah, my thought is, like, how much of that was because the people saying like, eh, this isn't interesting was like a broad consensus. And like, you could have probably found one or two people who would have agreed that it was very interesting, in fact. But as soon as you open this process up to everyone, like I market, where like everyone, everyone's opinion is weighted by the amount of money they're willing to commit, you might have something that is less representative of like a few select people who have high context on what you're doing, who recognize that it is in fact very interesting. It's exactly right. Keeping up like one or two people who took the first bet, and uh, certainly not the math. Yeah, uh, I mean it, that it seems like if you're trying to build a system to support anything really innovative, that you kind of have to go the opposite direction in terms of democratic process. Well, one thing that I think Lawrence and Darren have been working on a little bit though is that one of the issues is there's no upside to taking a contrary view early. Like you don't, you can't buy like in investment markets. You can be the contrarian who makes that early pre-seed like low valuation round, and if it works out, you, there's no science version of that. I'm curious. Yeah. Do you, is that how you? Yeah, I mean that's exactly that's exactly how we view it in the sense that like markets are the exact same thing. Where like like a lot of like good companies that end up doing very well like aren't don't have a lot of believers in the beginning, right? But I, I would say that the market process is very democratic, right? But it's not democratic in the sense that like if you like like have 51% of the people with you, then you win. It's, it's, it's in the sense that like in 10 years, right? Just like what you're saying, when you get the 10 years later consensus that, oh, this was a brilliant thing, 
then the then the you know one percent from earlier um, will will get rewarded. Maybe it's important, okay. but also okay. people been doing something like you can as long as you get somebody to fund your startup, it doesn't matter that a thousand people disagree. Versus peer review is you know they can vlog it and be published. Yeah. But but also the publication. public markets. Yeah. The public markets appear like 10 years after the company is founded and the company is founded and funded in the private market. And I don't know, if we think about SpaceX, then it probably would not have been funded in the public market. But, and in fact, the public market would probably like short it as hard as possible. And precisely, potentially the, the fact that you could not, you, you cannot short very early stage projects and they're not open to this completely democratic process is the reason why they're able to survive. And this is also the sort of like this criticism is sort of, I think there's a more general point where like, I, I know, like, oh, I have this like general, I guess, thesis, which is not mine, but like a lot of things are powerlo distributed and like capital allocation ability is also powerlo distributed. And like, if your mechanism is not taking this into account, then and I think this is like the mechanism in the, in the right direction. So is your argument, Alexi, that we, if we wanted to have a research markets for science, then we should have a, a, a distinction between private markets for scientific ideas and public markets for scientific ideas, where when it's kind of early stage, people can take some kind of stake in the research idea, but it's not like easily tradable. There's not a lot of liquidity so that you avoid some I, like I think, Yeah, but I, I think that private market in practice looks essentially like uh, the thing that VCs do, where you find people who have very high ability to allocate capital and you let them the allocate capital in the private for a while and then once there is the bigger consensus once things start working then it, it, things can be open to the public for a lot of concern that's probably too much of a divergence to pursue but uh, i think that crypto does create the possibility for people to generate all sorts of weird derivatives in their basement and turn private markets into public <laughs> markets yeah <laughs> Compliant like that, yeah. Well, but in period about incentives for collaboration and science. So I look at longevity in biotech, and it seems that often people build platforms, offer to make a drug, for example, on top of that. But there is strong incentive to kind of professors a patent system which is protecting, right? and then. Uh, most of the money goes late stage clinical and not in platform collaboration. So I get this impression that means that lots of good underlying technologies is not integrated coherently. Therefore, the rest of the community can't leverage this as, as efficient, efficiently. So I did it for the field, like, can we build incentive and you have an idea of how can we make a whole where there's multiple startups and players which contribute to a single thing in such a way that they all get value from this cumulative success from collaboration versus being more adversarial. This, oh, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. I, I was just going to say, like, I don't think that for-profit startups should be exempt from receiving grants for, for doing public goods because you, as, as a, as a uh, for-profit company, you, you have a choice at any point in time to privatize your software or to make that public. And I think that, that there should be grant and, and prize programs um, out, bounties out for, for um, even companies who are making money to um, trade off um, the profit from private your, your retroactive incentive to incentivize everyone to do it, not just the people who have already given up or like are considering not having revenues. There's this dual bind in between trying to have there be more collaboration early. And the, there's also a flip side of that, which is people standardizing too early and not doing enough exploration. We see this in quantum computing a lot right now, particularly around programming models. Mm -hmm. Like there's a bunch of different kinds of quantum computers and everyone's basically reinvented the same version of the open source layer. Why aren't they all just using, the, there should just be one that people use. And so sometimes folks are trying to corral socially, let's all contribute to a standard, but it's too early to standardize. How do you get collaboration when you don't exactly know what the right tech is? And I think one way to maybe do it, it would be to have the community and the social group be what you get a stake in, not particularly the product. So if you have a social token for people who are, let's say, building open source quantum programming languages, you don't have to bet on which is this is the platform. You can actually freely move 
in the market of ideas, but you know that you're contributing to the community. So there's still a kind of a stake to collaborate. But then there'd be a question of how does you know, that resource of your race get distributed? Well, what, I mean, one way is if you have a, like a social token and you have some central nonprofit that raises funds to help support that retroactively, you could then distribute those funds based on, based to the holders of those tokens, which could be liquid or not or something like that. And you can we'll accept that right, right. access. Well, you, what, it, well, the other thing is like, if we, like, if I say, if we raise money to do it retroactively, but who owns the tokens is public. Anyone can fund this. Well, you just, you just take money that you have from anywhere and then allocate it. I was like, let's say that there's 10 companies in a, in a domain, right? Yeah. And you want to put your bet on the entire domain. Okay. So you give a hundred dollars. That's going to get split up to those companies. How do you decide how much of their hundred dollars goes to each of those companies? So the, which is a hard problem. And like, it's really like, in, like they're trying to decide what quantum open source software to follow. Like you have to really get into the nitty gritty details. Right, yeah, exactly. But if the community is itself bottoms up allocating tokens, so if like I, a member in the community, see someone make a great pull request to a major open source library and give them some quantum tokens, then you as a funder can know that this is kind of the community. Yeah, there's two exactly. tokens here. There's one that's being distributed like separately from the, the funding token. The funding token's coming in and it's getting split up to everyone. But the split is determined by a separate token that then is being shared yeah. around in the field. There's a, do you remember the article the, by Scott Commoners on like reputation? It, it, anyway, so the, 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 the structure here is that there's like one token, which is the social value. And, and so let's call that like, uh, val- like, like coordinate with give tokens. Was that, is that what you're thinking about? Coordinate. Oh, no, I'm not thinking of that okay. one, but, okay. but so the, the, even it's like, there's two kinds of tokens. One is coins, which is like things you buy and sell with. And the other is social value tokens. And you can source grid has this too. Yeah. So yeah, it's like, there's a lot of versions of that. Sometimes you're trying to build like a contribution graph and you know, how do we actually get legitimate contribution graphs right now in academia? It's ma- mostly paper oriented, but. As you mentioned, yeah. source credit is an interesting project, yeah. at least in open source software, to find other metrics yeah. to start creating these contribution graphs. That you do quadratic funding is exactly. another one. Yeah. You could have like just consensus, like use quadratic voting for consensus over Shapley values that you could then compute. Shapley values. Uh, Shapley values are uh, like there are three very reasonable assumptions that you could make about uh, fairness, uh, like what you would want fairness to be for a distribution of resources. And if you start from those, you can derive that there is a unique distribution um, from uh, from evaluations of like say the like three of us contribute to one one outcome, and you want to know how to most fairly allocate. Uh, I'm blanking on what the uh, it's what the three assumptions which, are. Which elements more positively or negatively impacted the outcome? Yeah, we, yeah, you. It's a framework that elicits uh, or that requires elicitation of valuation of like how valuable would the outcome have been if like I hadn't contributed or if the two of us hadn't contributed and you can answer that piecewise and then compute some fair. Uh, yeah, it's marginal impact. Inflation is right now. Okay. Inflation mm-hmm. is But to take um, projects from academia, papers, you know, inventions, you know, ICO, DeFi, so that every project would have, it's backed by a patent in a group and then you know people want to invest in that project buy tokens goes up invest in a bucket of things and they buy those token ETF Dano, you know token ETF those tokens are unregistered securities in all likelihood and so there should be ways to generate a marketplace where you can trade them in a reasonable way you might need to be accredited if you're doing this in the US you might need to like base this somewhere else but like I am definitely interested in generating that marketplace if you know any like creative lawyers or any uh like full solvers or hong kong i would rather do it somewhere in the u.s that securities like comply with securities law that i and i think that that is actually plausible as a thing to do but but that would be investing but that would be investing that wouldn't be for the topic like let's say early stage research not be there's no revenue stream that these are linked to talking about could there be a future and i mean that's it looks like equity so there's like i don't know if there's that yeah there's yeah i mean like the or or if there's belief in retroactive funding yeah yeah Yeah. but for us the whole thing about the nft gallery is just like yeah like 
it's direct patronage. And even though the NFT that you get is not, you know, it's not an icon, right? At least you have a direct patronage. You directly supported someone. So it's one way at least to cutting out the middleman. And I think for stuff that is still research based, that like, is there any other better way to do that? Like, if, you know, something is still research based, if you, if there's really no investment incentive, right? Then at least you can directly fund someone with it. You get an NFT almost as a collectible that you've done this. Uh, and plus you have like just a direct way where you kind of pre-select a few, uh, a few, um, projects. So, you know, do you have a better thing for like early stage stuff that well, not really investment focused maybe? I, mean, so one is, okay. I was going to say that, I mean, NFTs are an interesting primitive, right? For rewarding these things that are really social status oriented rather than having some sort of direct revenue value capture model. And in, in some ways there is a question of, can we sort of mimetically create um, this reward system where people who are pa- sort of patronizing science early and have that taste to f- spot uh, sort of contrarian science, maybe as Matthew was talking about early on, can see upside in the future for having that um, that taste. You could imagine somebody, you know, 25 years ago funding modified mRNA work when the NIH wouldn't and ha- and that proof of patronage actually accumulating value, not because there's any actual uh, revenue stream. Yeah, because of re- exactly because there, there's some sort of reputation, and so uh, the effective altruism community has talked a lot about sort of this notion of certificates of impact, and whether there's these markets that you could create where it's not investing in sort of a, a discounted cash flow based model, but it's investing based on this sort of mimetic impact. We want to grow and discounted flesh. Like if we could get patient, like let's say biotech health longevity, we're talking about the whole pharma market, lots of money. Look at what goes into longevity field of the root, small fraction. If we can create discounted values in such a way that me as a researcher in a lab contributing to something which gets used creates value and we create an ecosystem around that, we can get orders of magnitude more resources into the field. And that's what, so I don't think philanthropy quite does it. I don't think social value quite does it. I think we need an economic reason for people to bet early and more. And if we can create that, then I think we could probably move faster. I think the money has to go to actually supporting the research in a predictable fashion. Because a, a brilliant patent that's never used does no really good. And, uh, so mm-hmm. if you have this core innovation, it's not so much of who gets rich by yeah, betting on it first. It's does it actually get supported enough to become so, realized uh, in the short term. So you want tangible value chains like mapped out? So you can always trace it down to last thing you're When he thinks about the tree. But yeah, no, it's, it's actually, so, it is actually possible to do. Uh, not right now, obviously, but in the future, we, we mature this thing out. I'm just thinking like, you can actually map out like, so let's say we reach something further down the field and we've actually seen every single step of the way to get there. You can just like retroactively push value back in the chain to all the people that were involved in the entire process to get there. Not, I don't know if you want to. It's still a question. I, I, I don't understand like the, the large politics and thing, but theoretically, this should be possible if you've mapped out the whole th- space, right? Uh, like what's that in return to do with an evolutionary chain of argument that led, right, Mark? You know, where you could think of like the, the early mimetic bit that led to a later stage argument and then like via micropayments could reward the first. So the, I mean, the micropayments were, well, but were not any small sense related to the content or the importance of the content. Just the very, very little shallow of pro-rata according to, well, the original source of what's on the screen for how much bought. Well, so the wonderful thing is that, you know, as you quote original material authored by someone else, then the micro royalties from looking at it also get distributed to the original source. Yeah. Well, uh, since then, in the software world, uh, at Agora, we talked about uh, a a sort of elaboration of this we call kudos that have to do with um, how do you, in an open source project, reward the projects that you're building? Well, let's, let's just, for a simplifying assumption, let's just imagine that all of the projects involved are all on GitHub. So we're just talking about if open source pre, if all the source codes open, the history of edits are open, etc. 
Uh, so the idea is that uh, you know, this problem of uh, attributing or uh, you know, the weighting of how much did the different things you're building on contribute to the outcome is an impossible trough. But one of the things you can do is, like with the Xanadu micro-royalty system, start off with some trivial, literal, algorithmic basis for making an initial split that everybody just understands is extremely wrong, but it's wrong in a way that everybody understands. <laughs> then, what you do on top of that, which we could have done in the Xanadu micro-royalty, well, we just didn't think of it that way, is that the author of the, of the source that's being, that's being split has knobs that they could publicly turn, where they could say, I'm publicly declaring that this prior project, uh, you know, even though the mechanical algorithm says, I'm going to give it 5%, I'm going to give it 50% because I know it was a fourth. I'm going to take that 50% from these other things that are getting more than their due. And by publicly turning the knob, um, others can look at that and evaluate what they think of that reallocation of thoughts. And then when somebody builds on that project, part of the evaluation of how much reward that project is whether history has judged that project or whether you have judged that project to have been fair in how it turned the knobs in rewarding prior projects. So I think that kind of public decision to deviate from the algorithmic split provides a feedback loop. Uh, since science builds on science and engineering builds on engineering, it provides a feedback loop towards making decisions that are publicly perceived as fair so that other people building on you will continue to, public, to, to fairly reward you. And I worry a lot about really open markets taking away. Uh, it's like when you have really open markets, what ends up actually happening is all the funding goes to the things that are already well-funded. And you almost create what happened with SoftBank. Like you create businesses that are just getting more funding because they already got more funding, not because they didn't care in the old value. So I actually think like in science that you want to support, it's actually weirdly interesting who has some obfuscated markets on niche markets. There, there, that what you were talking about, highly, like, high context individuals can try to understand what's happening there and fund the things that they like in. And your question was about basic science, right? This is not at this point, you're not talking about translation. At basic science, you want individuals to go after their curiosity because there are too many unknowns of where this is going to happen. Uh, can I, uh, on this point, maybe as a meta point, I think there is about the value of completely open markets versus not completely open markets. But the meta point is that like openness is a very mimetically fit idea. It's like extremely attractive to say that everything should be completely open. Everything should be completely decentralized and democratic. And yeah, as, as a meta point, I think that when we evaluate the values of these ideas, like by default, we're going to think that the ideas that favor complete openness and decentralization and everything related to this are going to seem us better then they probably actually are on average if we discounted the fact that they're so mimetically attractive because we want everything to be completely open. It just seems like intuitively such the right thing to do. And so we'd probably bias if we just like don't take into account consciously the fact that uh, yeah, it, it, these ideas just sound so good. We're probably going to end up a bit too open and a, a bit too decentralized. I'm not too worried about that. You would be ability to sort of put sure an idea and sets us against So you can have then you may be able to have the life cycle where initial ideas are in that bus and liquidity 
hold it for a longer period of time. You can't short it or tamp that against it. And then over time, you sort of open things up more. Great. Yeah, this is one way to uh, yeah get, get the best of both worlds, potentially. Open the set. One of the institutional things that... Oh, sorry. No, no. Anyway. Predictability is key. So both the funders and investors, they want to have a level of predictable returns, uh, whether it's you know an equity or, or, or a bond issue. And the researchers, they want to have Assuming this is a reasonably long-term project, they want to have a predictable set of cash flows to fund the research. And so, uh, you know, the speculators in the middle who, you know, are going to trade these tokens, they're, they're largely irrelevant so long as you can create the predictability for the long-term investors and for the researchers who are working on the project. I mean, ideally, in the, in the best possible scenario, these would actually be sort of like mission-focused bonds that could package a bunch of different projects into one, which would increase decrease the total perceived risk and increase the the potential protect, uh, predictability of returns. I love and I'm like deeply skeptical. Of, I both love and I'm deeply skeptical of financial instruments like that for science. I spent a decent amount of time thinking, well, I spent a little bit of time thinking about them and I eventually came to the conclusion that the risk return profile on science is just going to be worse than anything competitive from a financial investment perspective yeah that's okay especially given the value capture not i think you're not like you're we're not trying to package this as like a great way to make money i think the use of markets is that it can help better allocate the capital that's like even already going in and if that's already better allocated then we'll probably see more but using markets to allocate rather than to like generate yeah Yeah. Yeah. i like to jump in here there are many mechanisms to slide Markets, per se, are sort of the biggest and most obvious, so we tend to focus on them. But there are many other decentralized coordination mechanisms that, that create spontaneous orders. Language is, you know, my favorite example, is sort of most ultimately decentralized. Uh, with regard to science, the very important spontaneous order mechanism is the giving of credit by citation. And by by related work section acknowledgments of all these things, and those are not conserved quantities. By giving more credit, I don't have less credit. And this is actually part of what inspired the kudos thing. When I read a scientific paper, I see that it's not giving credit where due. I have a lower opinion of the paper. Authors of the paper know that I did. So one of the things about crypto is. To be careful that when we're talking about creating our contract, creating various kinds of tokens that flow through the system, these aren't always financial. But sometimes making them too literally financial actually ruins the dynamic of the openness of the spontaneous order that was creating the good effect in the first place. If citations were financialized, it would ruin role that, that citations play in science. can be financialized too. Why, why, why would it ruin it? Yeah, that's, that, I'm not sure. You can pay for citations, right? Yeah. You can pay people to cite your paper. People are giving people don't do that. You want the, they go for whatever they get the highest leeching but wait, what's the part that you're worried about? Like, we, we, have, we, have, we sort of already have the gaming aspect of it. People are already gaming citations. I've, so I don't have a way to prevent it from being banned or have a way to prevent it from being uh, So I think that acknowledging that anytime you've got such a system coexisting with all of the market incentives, there's going to be attempts to financialize any of these. Yeah. Uh, uh, but... The, the, the signals that the citations give to the reader, if the citations are the outcome of financialized decisions, then the, the quality of the information signal they convey to the readers gets compromised. So, for example, well, you know, an example of where financialization of something is kept somewhat separate is, is that, that we're all you know, familiar with and see every day 
is Google separating the ads on the search page from the, from the non-sponsored results. Well, and the reason they do that is they, is in order to maximize the revenue that goes to the ad sponsored results, you need the non ad sponsored results to have high credibility, which only flows from not having been a financial. I would worry about this, where the person produces of a citation system and relevant rankings for journals are being assessed because the system is insufficiently might actualized if the person to buy. But if you have an actualization or these interactions between individuals that actually do have value, and we are not accounting for that value, which means the value systems would matter. And if we did, if we had a system that did that, I'd be free to more or less in Care about which up to including Google's funds of bridge or facts versus non ad. I would be very worried about the, black, the lack of overlap between the distribution of authority that you would want or that you would expect in the people allocating resources and the allocation distribution of financial resources. And I think that the farther, the, the more disparate those distributions are the more fraud that particular application might be. I'm not <laughs> May, uh, very quickly, last sentence, there's, I think, an analogy between, uh, like, consequentialism relates to virtue ethics in the same way that complete financialization relates to citations that are not based on uh, financial census. And, yeah. I love the panic on a high meta note that we <laughs> Great. Okay, thanks everyone. This is lovely. Did this conversation pique your interest? Maybe it even inspired a bit of existential hope about the future in you. Search for Fawcett Institute on YouTube or Twitter to stay up to date. Or visit Fawcett.org to learn more, subscribe to our newsletter and join our efforts. We are entirely funded by your donations. So please support us if you like what we do. Thank you so much for listening. <laughs> <laughs>